This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Welcome back to another episode of Sporting Max. Thanks to Bastion GRP. For all your specialist needs in recruiting and defence, head to bastiongrp.com.au. Today, joining me on the Sporting Max podcast is a superstar of Australian basketball. He's had two stints in the NBA, one with the Brooklyn Nets and one with the Minnesota Timberwolves, currently playing for the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. He stated with homicide Eddie Marr and Andrew Gaze on the run home that he feels like this is the group to take Southeast Melbourne all the way, and it's the best group they've had since they started. Mitch Creek joins me. Creaky, how are you? Good, Maxie. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. It's great to, uh, to finally get you on the podcast. Mate, it's a pleasure to be here. I've heard a lot about you. I've watched a lot of your stuff, heard a lot of great things, and uh, to be in your presence now, mate, is, is very humbling. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Mitch. Now, I'd like to start off with this season. What did you make of the Aussies' performance last night? Sam Froling had 18 points, 11 boards. Yeah, look, you know, anytime the Aussies go away, it's it's always a very special moment for a lot of guys. Sometimes it's their first time donning the green and gold. Um, I know for those guys out there now, they're all competing at such a high level. They understand that their roles are so important to World Cup success, Olympic campaigns, and kind of paving the way for some of those big NBA stars. So, you know, to be a part of it for a few years was was very special. But to see the boys go out, take care of game one, uh, it's always what you want to see, mate. Yeah, you're always striving for wins, but at the same time, you're trying to build chemistry, continue to build the culture and uh, play the game the right way. The Australians are known to play it, but great start by the boys. Great to see someone like Sam Froling kind of really step up in the NBL and now translate that into the Australian campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. What about your group, the South East Melbourne Phoenix? Over this extended period, I guess, of the FIBA World Cup qualifiers window, how often do you guys train? At the moment, we're still doing pretty much every day. Uh, we do get this weekend off, which is nice, but it is filled with a lot of things that you don't get time to do. Uh, friends, family, the relationships. Uh, I, I spoke to you on the way up here. I'm actually going to buy a dirt bike today. So yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to fill some gaps where I can because we just don't get many days off. And, and normally when you get one day or, or an afternoon, it's normally filled with, with doing certain things like promotional events, um, any trainings. If you're doing, you know, I, I, I train young men and women uh, of all ages, you know, with basketball and, and, and mental health, resilience training, things like that. So, yeah, my days are pretty jam-packed. I've got a few other things I do on the side, investment-wise businesses. So, yeah, your days off are very much filled up just as much as they are on court. Yeah. <laughs> now, can you take me through your group, Southeast Melbourne, this year? Obviously, a slow start to the season, not in terms of winning, but in terms of having your core group of guys there, Ryan Brokoff, yourself, Trey Cal, the big source, Alan Williams. What's that been like for you guys to just grind out those first few games of the season? And now you get to, you know, quarter of the way through the season and you've got that core group of guys and you're looking extremely strong and tough to beat. Yeah, you're right. You hit it on the head. For us, we have to be consistent with health. That's every team's biggest demon that they face every year. And for us, we started off very inconsistent. Uh, you touched on... You know, guys like Ryan Brokoff, Trey Kell with a rib in the early preseason, um, Gary Brown with his knee, Allen kind of coming in probably a little underdone and needed a little bit more work and time. But, you know, myself having preseason injuries as well, I missed all of preseason, didn't get any training until probably a week before the season started and it was only two sessions wow. and then I played my first game. So even now I've only kind of been doing half the sessions, maybe two sessions a week where the group might do four or five Um so it's been hard to kind of get on court, get the reps in, get consistency, get the flow. But now that we have most of the guys back, um, Rowdy sat the last game, Kizza had COVID, uh, big Joe Chi uh, with his calf as well. So 
we, we, we started off pretty scrappy with health. We turned a corner. We won a couple in a row. And then everyone was like, oh, it's pretty good, I reckon. Let's just go injure ourselves again. So uh, for us to now kind of get back to that, you know, that healthy stage as a team, this two weeks is, is paramount for us going into a, an away game against Perth. And then, you know, 24 hours later, we're going to come back in and, and, and play Melbourne on our home court. So we need to be healthy because these teams out there are, are very dangerous. Yeah, as I stated before, and I guess mentioned before, you said on SEM with Homicide, Eddie and Andrew Gaze, that this is the best group that you feel South East Melbourne have had since its induction into the NBL. What's your, what's your sort of mindset on that? I think for for me, I've been around long enough to know when a group can gel and click, you know, just as a, a team sense and a uh, off the court camaraderie, uh, the little conversations, the the lunches, um, going having a few beers together, whatever it is, when a team has that naturally and everyone actually gets along with everyone, it can mean two things. One, you can become complacent and soft, and you let a lot of things go, and two. The opposite of it is you, you can be so hard on each other and so stringent upon you know repetition, excellence, execution, discipline, motivation, and you can kind of nip that in the butt. And we're yep. starting to get to that point. We haven't been there. We were probably a little bit too nice to start off with, but the fact that we have the initial groundwork kind of laid out and we're okay, we've got talent, we've got numbers, we've got size, we've got strength, we've got weaknesses that we all understand and we're happy with, but then... We're now starting to see guys really get on each other. Guys really start to put in, you know, the conversations that are tough to have. And that's the biggest thing. And if we can do that, um, we can do anything. So I know a lot of other teams out there have the talented rosters and have the mm-hmm. coaching and experience and, and, and the professionalism. Uh, but I do think for me, this could be one of my best chances to, to go all the way with a group. And, you know, to be side by side with these boys every week is, is pretty special. Yesterday, we got absolutely smashed into the ground, but... In doing that, you, you kind of understand like this is what it's going to take and we're going to have to be there for each other doing the simple things. So, so far it's a good start, but, you know, a third of the way through the season, nine games in, we got, uh, you know, what is it, 18 games to go or yep. 20 games to go. We, we've really got to kind of put the foot down and, um, you know, knuckle down these next probably seven to 10 games and that's going to pave the way for the rest of our season and, and, and where we can really finish. Now, head coach Simon Mitchell, from a distance, it appears that he's coming in with a different approach this season, he's, as you mentioned before, knuckling down at training, smashing his into the ground, getting you guys to put in the hard work. What difference have you noticed between him and when you know he first started out alongside you at South East Melbourne? So the first couple of years, we, we had a big emphasis on high performance. Uh, we have Eric Hollinsworth there, uh, who's our high performance manager, and, and he's done an amazing job with multiple codes of sport um, through, you know, Olympic decathletes, yep. through soccer, uh, playing over there and, and making a fortune, being an absolute wizard with his feet, um, you know, but then coming over to Melbourne United, winning championships there and now coming to Southeast Melbourne, you know, it, there was very much, hey, these are the things we can see and these are the ducks we need to kind of get lined up in a row to really help us become champions. And, you know, win every day is is a mentality that you have to get a little bit better every single day to mm-hmm. kind of eventually get to become winners. This year, it's kind of been a little bit different. It's about managing player loads. It's about managing the consistency of time put into players. And is it too much? Is it not enough? This week's been a bit of a deload week. So yep. we take a little bit less stress off the body. Uh, yesterday, we had a Sunni come in, uh, came in and, and took us through a session. And the coaches kind of went and did their own thing in the other room and, you know, stayed away from us, gave us some breathing space. And he comes in and, and kicks our ass and we're all competing and getting at it and, 
you know, I, I think we, I, I, I wear my Apple watch now. I just got one shout out candy and everyone that helped me get an Apple watch finally to become a little <laughs> bit more tech savvy, but I actually wore it during the session and we did about eight K's of, of high intensity sprint wow. stuff over the course of about an hour. Now that's not a lot when you, when you, you lay it out and just say, go, let's go for a, an eight K run. But when you're doing nonstop sprint, repetitive side, lateral retreating, all that kind of stuff, it starts to add up and, you know, it's a lot harder to, to do that for eight K's than it is to just go run in a straight line. So the guys are putting in the hard yards, you know, we understand that it's not always going to be rainbows and sunshines. We need to be force fed and hit with a shovel sometimes to get us to kind of react. So we've got a, a good balance and best of both worlds. So I think we've got the potential to do something special as we spoke about before. Now I want to throw back to your childhood. What was growing up like for you as a kid? How much basketball did you play? What kind of sports did you play growing up alongside your sister? Yeah, so I had my sister Shannon. She's about five years older than me. And then my stepsister Stacy from my dad's first marriage, she's actually about another 10 years. So she's in, in Brisbane. So I never really got to see her growing up. It was always uh, back in the day, it was Skype. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the genres that people, you know, the, the applications that weren't even applications, they were load up on a dial-up internet. Dad used to yell at us because he was trying to send a work fax and we're trying to get on the internet to speak to people and <laughs> You can hear the, the that crackling, ringing, rough sound. If you haven't heard it before, type in dial-up internet phone line noise on YouTube. Uh, but, yeah, it was, you know, country Victoria, Horsham, um, you know, God's country. People love it out there. It's it's so quiet and refreshing. But at the same time, you know, basketball was a big key. Football was a big one as well. I love my footy. Uh, I played a bit of cricket, a bit of soccer, did little athletics. Uh, I did gymnastics for about three or four years as well. So. Yep. I kind of dabbled in a lot of different sports and a lot of different um, codes, I guess you would call it, and say I wanted to try everything and, and see where my heart lied. And for quite a while, it was with footy. I did, you know, under I think it was under 14s or under under 15s, under 17s. I was the best and fairest in footy. I, I led the goal kicking. I, I tried out for the Victoria Rebels program. Um, you know, that the go and play in Ballarat in the TAC Cup and. I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And I did kind of country champs with basketball in Horsham around mm-hmm. the local areas, Stall, Echuca, Bendigo, you know, Ararat, Ballarat, Geelong. And that was as much travel as we ever did. And then we finally started to get call-ups to, uh, we had the Victorian gold miners and the Victorian bush rangers. Yep. And that's where it kind of became cool. You go to Albury, Port Macquarie, and you kind of became, you know, you, you played against New South Wales country. You played against SA country. You feel like you're getting somewhere. Yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, I'm actually starting to, to get out of Horsham. Yeah. And then all <laughs> of a sudden it turns into a state, you know, state level, like Victoria country played against, you know, in the national championships. And then as I got older, it was like, well, now we're just Victoria. It's not Victoria country versus Victoria Metro. It was a combined team. And yep. when I started to make some of these teams, I was like, well, I actually might be not shit house at basketball. Yeah. <laughs> like I could actually go somewhere potentially, you know, it was, it was such a pipe dream, but I remember writing things down as a kid thinking I want to do 25 pull-ups and 25 dips. Yep. That was a goal of mine. Like that was, if I could do anything, I was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to do 25 chin-ups in a row. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, I want to be president or I want to be a fireman. I want to go to, you know, live on the moon. It was, I want to do 25 chin-ups. Yeah. So health and fitness was always something that was very important to me, taking care of my body, um, having a good, you know, balance between working hard as, as a sportsman and then having a good social life. So my parents were very, very relaxed. Um, you know, you can leave here, but you got to be home by X, um, playing yep. in the backyard, you know, a little bit of land, had some motorbikes, um, some paddock bashes, some little cars we used to kind of rally around in. And, you know, it was, it was a good life for a while. And then my parents ended up splitting and then I made the choice 
to kind of move over and um, make that change. And I got offered a scholarship at the Institute of Sport. I took that. And I guess from there, it kind of snowballed into what my career is today. So was it a natural progression for you or was there a point in time where you had to make the decision between footy and basketball? Definitely had to make a choice. I was doing some Rebels training for footy. Um, I did a bit of the preseason for maybe two or three months. It, I guess right before that period, I went away to the national championships, did under-18s for Victoria Country. We came, yep. I think we got a, a bronze medal, um, which we did very well. Um, we probably exceeded our expectations. And then from there, it was, you know, you, you come back, you play some footy, you don't really know. And then the Institute of Sport called and said, hey, look, we'd like to offer you a potential scholarship. Yep. I actually said no at first. My my wow. family went through a, a divorce and, and I wanted to be there for my mum and my dad. And I felt partly responsible for a long time. And it wasn't until they really said, hey, look, go and do it. If you don't like it, come okay. home. Yep. You know, what, what do you got to lose? And for me, that was where I, I bit the bullet and I went away. And for the first probably three to six months, I cried every night and I hated it. And I didn't want to be there and call them mum and dad all the time. And you know, it was, it was, I had to make a choice, but that was the choice I made. And for me, it was a really easy decision. People always ask, why did you choose basketball? And I said, well, you can't put on the green and gold playing footy. Yeah, absolutely. And for a lot of people that don't understand what it feels like to get your name called out when the first team gets picked or the very last team gets picked, you know, I was fortunate enough to play in some amazing tournaments and games and exhibitions in, you know, here at Marvel Stadium, yep. you know, beating the Yanks. It was incredible in front of 55,000 people. Um, the first time I ever got a call up for the Bay, in Beirut and Lebanon for FIBA Asia Cup, I remember mm-hmm. getting told in my meeting and I ended up bowling my eyes out for about 10 minutes and I couldn't even talk. I just ended up <laughs> walking out of the room and shook their hands and just knowing your name's going to be on a jersey, that was everything to me. So, you know, to get that and to feel that and to know that the work you've done, the people that have helped you along the way, that's what it's all about. And I guess the consistency and the body of work and the motivations behind it is what's most important when it becomes being a professional athlete or having opportunities. And just because we work hard and just because we sacrifice doesn't mean the opportunity is going to present itself and it doesn't mean we're going to deserve it. It doesn't mean we're ever going to get it. Yeah, absolutely. But it gives us a chance and all people want in life is a chance. And sometimes people expect without doing the work. Um, I knew I did the work. I never expected it. But when it came, I tried to make sure I was ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. So not only is the AIS known for, you know, building up and making incredible athletes, but they're known for building up and creating incredible relationships too. Ski, who did you, did you room with anyone at the AIS? And if so, who did you room with? So I had, we were, essentially it was like an apartment. You had six people on one side of the apartment. And then there was a door that joined the two rooms, like the two apartments essentially. And you could open the door and there was six on the other side. And we had the basketball team in there. So I remember I had Igor Hadzimetovic, Jackson Aldridge, Hugh Greenwood. There was myself, Daniel Carlin. And I think there was someone else. I can't remember. John Fenton. Um, Now out of that, you might recognize some names. You might not. Mm. Uh, Igor Hadzimetovic obviously came over, did a little stint with Melbourne. Tigers or United, they might have been already. Um, Anthony Drimmick was on the other side. Uh, so obviously Drim and I are very yeah. close. Jackson Aldridge went to Butler, number one school in America mm-hmm. in college when he first went over there. Um, Hugh Greenwood, obviously star player, went across, did some NBA workouts. Um, thought he could have had a chance with Denver. I thought he was going to get picked up in the NBA. Yep. Uh, came back, signed with Perth Wildcats, made the choice to go and try out footy and has been an absolute powerhouse in 
the mighty Melbourne, uh, North Melbourne right now. Um, shout out Kerry Good, KG66, um, you know, to to go and, and make that transition is a big leap. But those are some of the guys I kind of spent my time with. And, uh, yeah, you, you think about some of the stories and memories you have and they're not appropriate for on air anywhere yeah. <laughs> ever. But, uh, you know, you think about just the relationships you spoke about, Maxie, and, you know, for us, we all lived off the, the same Wi-Fi and the same uh, LAN, LAN connection. Mm-hmm. We'd all plug our Xbox into the LAN and we'd all play local and we'd play Halo. And, you know, you can ask some of the guys, but Rocket Man was always a, a cheap shooter and he'd always <laughs> he'd always somehow end up with rockets and swords. And, you know, just to go and, and think about those memories, it's uh, it's what it's all about. And I don't remember the wins and losses more so than I do the people and the relationships and time that I spent with them. So you get your first pro contract, I guess, in 2010 with the Adelaide 36ers after, you know, a year or so at the AIS, the Australian Institute of Sport. You mentioned before having your name on the back of a jersey for Australia. What did that mean, I guess, just a level lower to know you're building up towards the Australian level? Well, it was kind of hard because I just finished the under-18 world champs we played in, um, uh, where did we play? We played at the Albert Schweitzer tournament. Uh, we we're in Germany. Uh, we played in, at an American army base over there. We won the world yeah. champs. Um, Hugh Greenwood was the all-star shooting guard of the tournament. Jackson Orridge was point guard of the tournament. And I was the foreman and MVP of the tournament, beating Germany in Germany on an American army base with 4,000 wild fans, literally like a high school game where they're standing courtside. Yep. It was the most surreal basketball experience ever. And I came out of that tournament feeling pretty good about myself. You know, I was I never tried to get too high, never got too low. Now I'm not saying, you know, that never got too high. I yeah. had to learn how to control a little bit because there were times where I thought my shit didn't stink. Yeah. Um, now I understand my shit does stink and you need to be mindful of how you approach and you communicate to people. doesn't matter who it is, whether it's yourself, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's Chris over here, whether it's the, the man walking his dog on the street or the postman delivering, you know, junk mail, you've got to treat everyone with respect. And sometimes you forget because you're like, oh, I feel pretty good about myself. I'm a world champion. I, I'm I'm MVP. And you got to kind of nip yourself in the butt pretty quick. So I came into Adelaide thinking I was, I was pretty damn good. And I was like, all right, cool. And I walked in the first day and I remember seeing Adam Ballinger and Jacob Holmes shooting corner threes. And they were just like cash, 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 cash. And I was like, holy shit, I can't even shoot two or three in a row, <laughs> let alone these guys are like the, the centers. And it literally felt like, the Adelaide court was about six feet off the ground. And I was like looking up at these guys, just like, holy shit. Like, what have I got myself in Yeah, here? I was like, I'm, I'm in trouble, boys. And for the first three years, I had Marty Clark at the Institute of Sport. He left, went to Adelaide, ran the preseason for about probably four or five months with Mark mm-hmm. Radford, who's now at the Jack Jumpers in Tasmania. Um, but I went in and went across after that had all started. Marty went across. We had Ian Stacker come in. Shout out Stacks. He was at Southeast Melbourne as well for, for, for a couple of years. But these all th- things kind of come and all align together. And it's funny because I went to Adelaide, thought I was pretty good. And I went in as an injury replacement for Nathan Herbert. Did his knee. Yep. Um, Marty called me and said, shout, hey. Shout out to Nathan Yeah, Herbert, Herbie, way, man. Absolute superstar. Yeah, Geelong Supercats. Absolute gunslinger. The man off a, off a flare screen three I've ever seen in my entire life. But uh, went over... A couple of months afterwards, he did his knee, offered a three-year deal, went in, thought I was going to do pretty well, struggled, 
but I, I had athleticism, I had intensity, I had motivation to work hard and I was willing to let other guys be the man. And I understood my position and my role. But over time, you're like, I kind of expect a bit more. I kind of expect a bit more. And then it yep. didn't really happen. And I kind of struggled for a little bit. Then Joey Wright came in and you're right. Putting your name on a jersey is one thing. Feeling like you've earned it is another thing. Now, I didn't feel like I'd earned the name on the back of my jersey and the respect from the fans. Until Joey because, Wright came in? Yeah, probably until a couple of years afterwards because you have these ex- expectations of yourself, but other people have expectations. They go, great, you're an MVP there. Be an MVP here. Yeah. And you don't think about that because the level goes from, yeah, if you put the Adelaide 36ers back then against that Australian team we played, that would have beaten us by 40. Yeah. But you don't think about that. You're like, great, I had 18 against or whatever it is. I don't even know the numbers. But say you have 15 or 16 against a, a German side in the in a world champ final, you think you're pretty good. But then that, that 15 is really four against, you know, the guys on yeah. your team. So. <laughs> You learnt pretty quick that the guys are very talented and, you know, I was very one-dimensional at the time. I could get on the rim and, you know, crash the offensive glass and I was a good slasher. That was about it. You know, yeah. defensively I was solid, but I wasn't fantastic. I could make up with my athleticism, but I had to learn the hard way and it was a rude awakening. But as we spoke about, when Joey came in, about 12 to 18 months after he came in, the the light bulb moment hit and it was his belief that helped me become more aware of, of who I am and what my potential really was. So when, once Joey Wright came in, how did you start to develop that other side of your game? You said you were more of an offensive player, crash the boards, get up on the rim um, with posters and things like that. We've seen that on display against uh, Matthew Delavadova last season. Um, we'll get to that later. But how did you develop that other side of your game? I remember, I remember like being in Adelaide and Joey just saying, you could be an Olympian. And I was like... You're you're an idiot. Like yeah. I don't I I didn't see it. I didn't think I could be. You know, I, I look at that team and it was such an idolizing kind of moment where you go, wow. Like I imagine playing for that team. You know, it'd yep. be crazy. And it was only maybe another eighteen months later I was playing for the Australian team. I made that uh, FIBA Asia Cup team, and then I made a couple more teams and. I was becoming a bit more of a vocal part of it. Now, obviously, the NBA guys weren't there, and I knew that was when it really counted. And mm-hmm. Joey really kind of allowed me to break down my game, which other coaches had done, other coaches had done, sorry, but I never really kind of understood the information and the process implementation that it was going to take. And just the excellence of execution yep. is, is one of the things that I, I'm big about. And, you know, I, I, I focus so much on now because of what Joey taught me, but you know, breaking down your shot, breaking down your ability to, to work off the dribble, you know, simple stuff, getting back to cone work and chair work and, you know, breaking down simple form shooting, just being consistent every single repetition. And it didn't have to be a two-hour workout. It only had to be an hour. And I'd, mm-hmm. I'd come in after training. We'd, sh- we'd train in the morning. We'd go to the gym. We'd have lunch. We'd come and shoot in the afternoon. I'd go home. I'd come back at 11 o'clock at night and shoot again and work out again. And yep. then would open up for me. Like those are the moments where he didn't get paid to do that. He had a family, he had kids, he had a partner, but he didn't have to come in and open up for me and do any of that. Hey, yep. come on, we'll be there at 7 a.m. tomorrow. Don't worry about it. No, 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 I want to go and work out now. He'd come and open up. So that's that's the the kind of level of care and love that he had. And I'm not saying no other coach ever had that, but for some reason he and I really understood each other. And the development came because his belief was so high in me and he saw it. I was like, well, I'm going to blindly trust this man not to lead me into a pile of shit. Yeah. And 
you know, you, you sometimes think about it. Sometimes. Did you know what Joey Wright was going to be when he w- first walked into the club? I'd heard good and bad. And normally when you hear good and bad, like one way or the other, you normally know that he's either for you or not for you. Yeah. And the reasons I understood it was because he challenged you. He'd play with your mind. He'd, he'd, he'd get in your head. He'd, he'd so come ha- at you. So how did he do that? So there were just times where he would come at you in a game and he would he would kind of get on you about certain little things. And it might be, you know, Max doesn't box out two in a row, but yeah. then I don't box out once and he's on me. Like, you don't do that. You need to, if you don't, you sit, you sit your ass down. You ain't going back on the court. I won't play you all, all year. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, shit. Like, I, I got to. Okay, yeah. Step right. up and you for kinda, this man. He's going to beat me. You either go into your shell or you kind of go, you know, I'm going to challenge this. I'm not going to miss another box out. So that's a very, very simple, simple thing. Now, I'm not saying everything's like that, but I'm saying there's times where he's going to challenge you. He's going to make you make plays. He's going to see what you do under pressure. He's going to apply pressure when there's already pressure and everyone's against you and see how you react. And then afterwards, he'll come up and, hey, it's okay. We've got another game. Yep. We can go and work on this during the week. And he was just so great at kind of helping mold me as a player. And as I said, he's not for everyone. He's not. Well, that's but why he, he's, he's three-time coach of the year alongside he, he's for me, though. George and Lindsay Gase. He's, he's for me. He's not for everyone. I'm not for everyone. And that's okay. I don't have to be for everyone. I'm for myself, my friends, my family, my teammates, my coaching staff. That's all that matters. Anyone else who thinks that I need to be for them, you're crazy. And you shouldn't be for me either. I'm not for, for anyone and everyone's not for me because – you're not for every fan out there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. It's like at the end of the day, I'm going to try and give the best of what I can to every single person in every situation that I find myself in. Now, when you think about it, when you find yourself in a situation, sometimes you go, I put myself here. And other times you go, far right, how the hell did I end up here? Yeah. And that moment of, holy shit, I'm in this situation. What did I just do to get myself in this situation? You can learn from it. But at the same time, how you address everything in that situation is now going to define what you do next time, how you learn from it, how you grow from it, the negative and the positives that you're going to build from. So he did that in every way, shape and form with every single player. And you look at someone like Nathan Sobey, never made a state team, Mm -hmm. never made, you know, a country rep team, never made a junior Australian team, went to a, I'm not even sure what kind of college Sobes went to. Then he went to Wyoming. And then he came into the NBL, was a training, uh, uh, maybe a DP. And then he was a, a rostered guy. And then there's NBA talks of him. Then he goes to Adelaide. Joey gets him, turns him into a six man, turns him into a starter, turns him into a, uh, a an MVP candidate, arguably one of the most dynamic shooting guards we'll ever have in this game in Australia. Yeah. And NBA talks. And they go, where did that come from? Yes, Sobes and him didn't always have the greatest relationship. But I think they respect each other mm-hmm. because they work their asses off. And, and Sobey's another one. He, like I've got so much love for Sobes. You know, that man, I hate playing against him because he's really good. <laughs> I tried to get him to Southeast Melbourne, but it didn't really work out. <laughs> he, he cost too much money. <laughs> um, but look, you, you just, you see these amazing people in life and there's been so many of them that it's really hard to put your finger on one. But Joe was definitely one for me that stands out. You've been a had a quite a multiple injuries over your career. You've had Achilles. You've had multiple different things going on through your body. How do you come back and overcome those hurdles in your career? Yeah, I think I'm up to about ten surgeries now. So thanks for the reminder, Maxie boy. That's really good. <laughs> positive, positive, positive thoughts. And, um, and what about the mental side yeah, it's, of look, coming it's, back from that too? The first major one I ever had was my Achilles. I snapped my Achilles when I was in Adelaide, 
And then six months later after that, coming back, I actually had back surgery. Um, I've had elbow, hand, knee, ankle, Achilles. Um, you know, I've had multiple, I've got fake teeth. I've got, you know, stitches yeah. through my face galore, probably about 50 at the moment, um, wow. over time. And you, you understand that every time you, you're injured, you have two ways to go about it. I believe it's sit there and feel sorry for yourself mm-hmm. or do something about it. Now you either to do something about it. You have to have a plan. You got to understand what the end goal is. So this is where goal setting and resilience come into things. And then yep. the consistency of work, the excellence in execution, you can sit there and you know, ah, oh, poor me, ah, oh, but he snapped me Achilles. This is shit. You know, I hate my life. Rah, rah, rah. And you're going to go through those moments and that's fine. But then there's times where you sit there and go, you know what? I'm going to get better. I might not physically be able to run faster right now or jump higher, but I'm going to be able to understand the game better. So I'm going to study film. Mm-hmm. Every day I'm going to watch a game. I'm going to watch a quarter, whatever it is. doesn't matter. I think my thing was I went through and I started learning scout. I was the best at scout when I did my Achilles. Mm-hmm. I learned it inside and out. I learned players. And now I don't have to really look at scout apart from the new guys in the league. Cause I can tell you everyone's tendencies and I can tell you pretty much most of the, most of the players effective field goal percentage, their three point rate, what they're shooting as a clip from mm-hmm. the previous season. This season's always going to be a bit different, but you start to learn guys and you understand traits, tendencies, but I understood, okay, that's how I can help my team. Scout comes out. I'm going to be the best guy at it. I'm going to know the defense. Mm-hmm. I'm going to know their offense. I'm going to know their late game situations. And then I'm going to go, well, what does my body need? I can't do low, low leg work, but what can I do? I'm going to be so in shape that my core, my lower back mm-hmm. is going to be rock solid. Upper body is going to be strong. I'm going to have good overhead endurance so I can shoot the ball better, be more efficient, hands, yep. wrists, everything. And then your legs start to come back. And then all of a sudden I became a better athlete, more power, better stability after my Achilles than before. And I was 10 times smarter. I understood the game. I read about the game. I learned about the game, asked questions and all because I snapped my Achilles. I turned chicken shit into chicken soup, mm-hmm. right? And some people go, well, it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't because they sit on their ass and they go, oh, poor me. No exactly. one's going to do the work for you. Yeah. You know, no one's going to ask you, you. You reached out and asked me to do a podcast and to do this. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Straight away. Let's do it. What do you need? Nothing. I'm just going to come in and do it. Mm-hmm. If you didn't ask that, would I have come in? No. Hell no. I didn't, didn't really know. I'd seen you pop up once or yeah. twice and I never would have thought you wanted to ask me. But because you were proactive and because I was proactive in a time and you were proactive in a time, we both got positive results. And that's how life works. Every day there's going to be negative. Every day there's going to be naysayers and there's going to be people that just shovel it on top of you. Mm-hmm. But it's what do you want to do about it? Do you want to just get yourself, dig yourself out of it and go, okay, I'm good? Or do you want to just go, oh, geez, that's a lot of, that's a lot of crap on top of me now. I don't know if I can get out of this. And then just lay there. And that's what happens. People compound themselves with negative and they keep compounding it. If you get up and do something about it, you can do anything. But if you believe it, you know, you've really got to go after it. And that's all it is. Find the negatives, find a way through it, build upon it, be curious, be okay and be happy to be wrong and to make mistakes. And yeah, any part of development just comes from the willingness to learn and then to execute it every single day. So what about someone like Bryce Cotton? You mentioned, you know, the scout of every player. Obviously, we know he likes that right cross back, um, step back to the three, knock it down. But he's got so many different assets to his game that it's like he's got 
let's say he's got a hundred pencils up his sleeve, right? And at any moment in time, he's got you've got a one percent chance almost of getting that getting that right of what he's going to pull out of his out of his sleeve. So what's it like when you've got to try and guard someone like Bryce Cotton? There's a there's a place in the world that no one really likes to go, and there's a movie called Skull Island mm-hmm. um, with these crazy big you know you know big gorilla yep. you know King Kong. Um, Bryce Cotton has an island called Cotton <laughs> Island, and Cotton Bryce Cotton is the man on that island. He's, he's not big, cotton candy. He's he, not. <laughs> it, it's not cotton candy, man. It's Cotton Island, and it's not a good place to be. So, yep. yeah, it's. Uh, I've got so much admiration and respect for Bryce because every year he has been the man. I don't know how long he's been in the league for, maybe seven years now. Mm-hmm. And seven I'm going to seven. Yeah. Like, and I reckon he averages 20, 21 for those seven years. Like I've been doing it for three years, going on four now at that level. It's tough. And every year you can't just come back the same Bryce or the same Mitch. You got to add shit mm-hmm. because people go, Oh, I, Hey, I don't, if I'm trying to guard Bryce, I'm thinking no threes, no step backs. And if he's going to go anywhere, he's going to his left. Now, I understand he likes to go right to left into his step back and he does jump forward. So he draws a lot of fouls. Mm-hmm. He does a little arm windmills when he shoots sometimes, draws fouls. Yeah. He's really good at manipulating his body to help benefit a referee to call. Phenomenal talent. Mm-hmm. Like incredible to do that stuff to is make hard. That split second decision too. Yeah, just to lean a little bit more or whatever it is, or maybe kick you give the legs out. Kick yeah, the feet out and a it's bit. not even an illegal move. It's just that he takes up a little more space because you're trying to get as much of his space as possible. So, but without he, trying he, to take yeah, out away he, look, his he, landing space, he winds up and you want him to go left downhill. I'm sending mm-hmm. a low guy early. We call it cleansing the lane when mm-hmm. I was in the, in America, but essentially all it was was. If you're on the left side of the floor, the opposite guy on the right side on the baseline is normally your low help, right? Yep. Furthest away. I'm sending him to be on the strong side. So he comes all the way across and I get on Bryce's top hip, force him left downhill, mm-hmm. and I'm just making him pass. I don't want Bryce to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> and we played over there a couple of weeks ago and we hit those free throws on the buzzer and you know they came down and Bryce had a chance. All I said was just don't let Bryce shoot. If someone else beats us, shake their hand, congratulate them, go home. Blanchfield from the three. Yeah, it's, it's it okay. Yep. Now, we we weren't as smart as we probably could have been. We rotated off Luke Travers in the corner and we went to Todd Blanchfield. Now, Todd mm-hmm. Blanchfield's still an incredible shooter. He, he's like everyone in the world's 50 50. You either make it or mm-hmm. you don't. You're not 30%. You're not 38. You're not 50 50. Yeah. yeah, you just, you're either going to make it or you're not. Luke Travers hit a few threes that game. Luke Travers' three point rate against us is absolutely through the roof. That man. For whatever reason, he had, I think, three threes for the season and he hit two against us or whatever mm-hmm. it was. But, yeah, you, you just we should have stayed on Toddy, split the lane and just high closed out on the 45 and Luke in the corner. So when you see Luke Todd Blanchfield at the top of the three and run higher towards Blanche and cut the two. So if, What was your reaction, though, when you see Todd well, Blanchfield? I, 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 saw, I saw Bryce go downhill. I rotated and just thought, holy shit. And I, I looked and I was like, I Travis get... is over there. And I was like, just let Travis shoot. And we went one more and I was just like, oh boy, here we go. He just stepped into it wide open and, you know, you live and die by that. He's an amazing shooter, an amazing talent in Toddy and all those guys are very, very great players. So, you know, that's how I'd guard Bryce every single possession or I'd just like foul him really hard until he can't lift his arms off above his head. I'd use 40 fouls against him and just (laughs) hopefully wear him down. But I don't think that we're not allowed to do that. Um, but no, look, it, it, all jokes aside, you know, someone like Bryce is incredible for the game. He's incredible 
um, for all young men and women out there. It doesn't matter who you are, what level you play at. Um, I hope he gets naturalized. I really do. I hope he gets his citizenship ASAP because, you know, to have him in the league as a local, oh my gosh, like it then makes them better. And I want to play against the best possible team they can put on the court. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd love to see Bryce, mm-hmm. three other imports, a next star and just run five Americans. That'd be sick. Yeah. Because then you have to go out there and you've got to play above and beyond the best basketball you can play to beat that team. And that's what being a competitor and a high level athlete is all about. So, yeah, hopefully it gets done. Now, I want to get into the 2017-2018 NBL season. It was Joey Wright's, I believe it was Joey Wright's last or second last year in the NBL. He got his to the grand final. It got to game five here in Melbourne and just couldn't get the job done. CG knocking it down. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one I'd, my, uh, my therapist and I had really pushed out of my brain. So I'm glad you just re- re- <laughs> relit that match. That's, that's really nice. Um, I'm going to have to go back and see him a few more <laughs> sessions. Um, now nah, look, anytime you play against Melbourne, you know, you know, Chris is going to step up. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of respect for Chris, you know, um, never spent a lot of time with him off the court ever really. Don't really talk to him ever. Um, but someone who I respect, he's a champion, he's a winner. He does a lot for his team that a lot of people, um, don't see, um, Yes, he walks around with swagger and confidence and some people... Doesn't talk to anyone before yeah, the game. Yeah, look, whatever he wants to do, he, he, yeah, it's, it's, it's for him. It's his routine. It's what he likes to do. His um, routine before the game, though, if you get there an hour and a half early and watch him, it's phenomenal. Hmm. It's, it's the warm-up. It's not talk to any teammates. It's zone in on yourself and your game. And he gets so self-centered that you know when he's, when he's in a mood and when he's not. Yeah, and look, you, you know, I... As I said, I got so much respect for him because he plays at such a high level. And, you know, yes, he's got a lot of strings in his bow, but at the same time, like there's certain things he's not great at, but he can cover that up with his level of excellence, yep. professionalism, IQ of the game. And he's developed as a leader over time. He's developed as a defender over time. So, yeah, you respect guys like that. He's a winner. He's kicked our ass. He kicked our ass a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't always you know, love how he carries himself, but no one ever loves how I carry myself sometimes. You know, I think he's arrogant. You know, people think I'm arrogant, but the thing is like, he's great for his team. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I I bloody love it. Like, I think he's phenomenal for the game and that's what you want. You want different guys to have different talents and different levels of confidence and, you know, exude different things, um, you know, mentally, physically. And, And, you know, when he's on, oh my God, like there's no one hotter in the world apart from, you know, bloody volcano giants in the new yeah. What Kind of Forever movie. I don't know. Like, it's just crazy. Like, he's unguardable when he's in those moods. And, you know, we saw that. But, yeah, to have to have that series go to five, obviously an amazing, you know, battle. We came to Melbourne first game. We just lost by about 10 or 12. We were mm-hmm. up by eight in the third quarter. Same in game three back in Melbourne. We were up by about six or seven. Um, we get ejected. Someone gets ejected at halftime for some silliness. But the two games, game two and four, we went to Adelaide, beat them by 20 and 30, whatever it was, came mm-hmm. back. We had a chance and, and Chris lit, lit us up. And, you know, they're the moments where people just want to get off. I just want to sit there and sit in the, you know, the space of, man, we just got touched up. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a nice feeling. Like, you watch it because it's fuel for the fire. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to get out of bed. Sometimes it's hard with injuries or it's, it's, you know, it's really hard to kind of keep the motivation high every single day. Mm -hmm. But you remember back to some of these moments where you go, holy shit, like this is, this is real. Like 
you don't want to feel that again. And there's heaps of times this preseason, I had a foot injury that really, really, really knocked me about mentally. And yep. it was really tough physically just to train, like let alone get through a, a full session, just to get into the session was so hard. I was doing all these extra conditioning sessions to try and get myself up to speed. I was doing altitude training, mm-hmm. um, you know, four or five days a week. Like it was really tough going. And I remember just being on the treadmill and I'd think about moments where guys had touched us up and I'm like, you know, you're guarding Bryce. In my head, I'm literally telling myself like, you know, Bryce Cotton, like 15 seconds to go. You've just played 38 and a half minutes. You've had a one minute break in the second quarter and you've got one more possession. You've got to lock his ass up mm-hmm. and you've got to lock him up. Like you've never locked up anyone. Like you think about moments like that really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about game five, you think about losing to Illawarra in the semifinals in Adelaide in the third game, because we talk shit about their imports in game two mm. and it came back and bit us on the ass. I think about all these moments and it's not about feeling negative or bad for yourself. It's just, I got to remember that not everyone's my best friend and not every moment's my favorite but I can use some of these moments to help push me to that extra rep, two reps, set, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that helps me in the long run. doesn't help me right now in the early parts of the season, but in the long run, I'm going to be okay, I think. Now that leads us into, Mitch, our Monday Distillery question of the week. High Spirits, Clear Minds, Monday Distillery's award-winning non-alcoholic beverages. Head to mondaydistillery.com to purchase the drinks with all the spark of good and alcohol-free available at independent supermarkets, bottle shops, Dan Murphy, 7-Eleven, and Coles Local. Mitch, our Monday Distillery non-alcoholic beverages question of the week. This week comes off Instagram, and it is from Amanda underscore LM07. How many hours a week do you train? It's a great question, Amanda. It does change and vary quite a lot. Uh, At the moment, normally we do a gym session three days a week in the morning. Uh, On top of that, at the moment, I'm doing one altitude session a week. It was two or three. Mm -hmm. As the season gets on a little bit, we start to just do one as a bit of a top up. So you're doing at least an hour, 15, hour 20 in the gym, four days a week. Um, You're then on court pretty much four or five days a week as well. That's anywhere between... 90 minutes to two hours sometimes. Also, you have video, which is normally 30 minutes at least um, a day. A day yep. um, at least three, three, four days a week because you do uh, an offensive review, a defensive review. You know, Monday, Tuesday would be one and the other. And then you'd have, say, Wednesday, we'd have no video. And then we'd go Thursday to, say, Perth next week. Mm-hmm. We'd have, you know, video the morning of or before the game as well. Um, plus your shoot arounds. Then you've got promos you know, activations, you know, whatever other commitments you have. Yeah. You might do the broadcasting. You might do a podcast. You might, we went to Trailgan yesterday and we drove a couple of hours there, ran three different individual sessions for schools and you drive all the way home, you know, so our day off is actually taken up that of, you know, nine, 10 hours of, of running promos and events. Mm So quite a few hours, quite a lot of time. And then you've also got to remember You've got to learn offense, defense, scouting. You've got to watch their tape at home in your spare time. Games are on TV, so you tune into those as well. You then remember, oh shit, I got, I got a partner, I got a, a mother, I got a, a father, I got a brother, I got a friend, I got a, I got a hobby. You know, I, I race motorbikes, I do other things. I've, I've bought a little mini GP, GP bike, and Tuesday nights are my nights where I go to Oakley go kart mm-hmm. track and race around these 190cc kids bikes and. You know, you, you do all these different things and then you're like, oh shit, I need to do something life after basketball. So I better go and invest in some properties, find mm-hmm. out about business, make connections, do different things. And then you're like, oh, you know what? I might try and just double down on my time and I'm going to go and run clinics for kids, clinics for adults. You're going to do mentoring sessions. You're going to do mental health, resilience, goal setting, review, 
daily reviews, like mm-hmm. everything. And you're like, hundred oh, percent of your time. Well, there you go. Up. I'm up at you know quarter past six, and I'm in bed at eleven. Yeah. You know, and that's it becomes a daily routine. And people go, oh, how good you get to play basketball and you just get paid for it. Yeah, we do, but there's so much more on top of that. We work our ass yeah. off, you know, and you're trying to have a wealth creation and you're trying to understand that life isn't just go to school, get good grades, go to uni, and then try and apply your trade somewhere else. And they go, oh, you don't have any experience. So mm-hmm. you got a degree, but you can't get a job anywhere. You need to learn how to build your own business. You need to know how to do digital marketing yourself. You need to understand how to do your accounts to set up trusts, companies, you know, offset tax. You need to know how to do investment properties. What is a, a, a homeowner? you know, grant gets yep. you or what is it? all these other things in the world that we don't learn about. That's what you try and learn. And that's what I'm trying to teach the next generation of young men and women is it's not about going to school and, and just doing your work and getting good grades there. You got to learn about life. And so many people probably listen to that and go, Oh yeah, but that's what school and stuff's for. And uni, yeah, but uni gives you one pathway. Mm-hmm. Why can't you have five? You know, millionaires always say they have between five and seven streams of income. You can't have seven streams of income if you have one one pathway through uni. One pathway yep. through uni, so you got to have your uni provides a hobby or an interest into a cafe. A cafe's profits then help you set up in six to twelve months another thing. It might be a clothing label. Then a clothing label gets you to do whatever it is. You know, you might mm-hmm. want to set up a, a a meals company for for the less fortunate. Yep. You know, you might want to tutor kids. Whatever it is, each thing should generate a little bit of passive income to help you start something else. And then every time you set up one or two things, they kind of cover themselves. Then mm. your original wage you can still save, but you've now got three or four different pathways. Now, as you get older, that's called wealth creation. Mm-hmm. Do people understand it? Do people know how to do their own taxes or even understand what a tax bracket is or any of those things? And that's just Australia. You want to go overseas, you've got to learn it again. So mm. for me, it's a full-time job and it's just it's nonstop because you know I don't want to be Whatever it is, I don't want to retire when I'm when I have to. Yeah. I want to retire when I want to. And there's a big difference. So in the next two or three years, maybe I hang up the boots. Maybe I've got five or six good years of basketball in me, but I don't want to play until I'm, you know, my ankles are shot, my knees are shit, mm-hmm. and I can't even bend over to, to play with my kids when I eventually have them one day. I want to be able to retire and go, okay, let's move into something else. Hey, if I want to coach, I can do a bit of that. Hey, if I want to do some individual one-on-one stuff, I can do that as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be stuck just doing one thing going, that's all I'm good at. Absolutely. You want to be good at many things so you can try life because that's what life is. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to get into some positive now, positives now. Get into the poster dunk last season on Matthew Dalavadova. What was that like for you coming up the court? And what do you feel as you're going up to the ring? Well, it's it's a throwdown game. Big, big energy. Big um, crowds sold big, out. Big crowds, yeah. Big crowds sold out. There's always a bit of tension with those games, you know, People always throw around, we don't like them, they don't like us. There's always and a bit of fire, a bit yeah, of extra mayo added on yeah, top. Yeah, a little bit of extra mayo, maybe some sriracha, um, some chipotle. I can't do spicy sauces, yeah. <laughs> so they, they'd light me up on fire. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, we we kind of wanted the ball to be out of their point guard's hands. We bring, you know, Pete Ling up at the floor. We want to turn him, you know, we get him into a position where he's not comfortable. You, you get it out of someone's hands who's good at something, you put it in someone's hands who's not as good at something, and you see what happens. You live with the results. Mm-hmm. Turnover, Delhi trailing back, drops off pass, perfectly timed, just in rhythm. You don't think about it. I don't think, hey, oh, it's Delhi. I got to dunk on Delhi. Like I like Delhi. I think Delhi is incredible for basketball. I love mm-hmm. the guy. 
I love how he goes about it. I love that he's in Sacramento. I wish he stayed in the NBA the entire time. He deserved it, I thought. You got but, in front of you. You just go, I'm going up there. And dunk. you just go up and dunk it. And then you, you yam it and you're like, holy shit, I just yam that thing. You're like, oh, my God. And, and you look like, down and you're like, it's on you're Delhi. Like, yeah. it's on you. you're like, woo. <laughs> you look down you're like, oh, shit, that's Delhi. You're like, woo, yeah. And you get sideswiped and you're like, oh, shit. And then Mason Peely is coming over. I remember I got <laughs> hit and it wasn't like it was a hard hit or whatever else. It just kind yeah. of pops you and you get like. It's like that split oh. second realist. And you, you realize that, yeah. oh, that like, he just cracked me. Like he tried to go out of his way to crack me one. Mm-hmm. And then my, like I just, I took it and I went down and I was like, ah, don't do anything. And then I was just like, brain went, holy shit, that just happened. Oh my God, kill him. Yeah. And that's, that, it's like a snap thought process. And look, Mason and I are cool now. Like I, I, we reached out to each other. Um, we had the same agency. Like we, we eventually reached out and cleared the air. I talked to him after the game. It's a shame he's injured at the moment. I told him to get back safe, you know, and sound and get back healthy. But you don't think about it. You just think like that you see just red. Had a jab at me and you just see like, red. And then I'm you think on the way over, I was like, you want to like punch a hole through his face to, yeah. you know, to Uranus. That's where you want to fucking punch yeah. it too. But you can't. <laughs> and you go, you get halfway across and you're like, I can't do anything. You're like, like, I'm going to get fine. I'm going to go and, go go and squeeze him, like yeah. just hug him really tight. And that's it. And you're like, oh, I didn't like you. Like, it's kind of what it's like. It's like when you hit your shin on the on the coffee table. Yeah. You go, oh, God yeah. damn it. You don't punch the wall because yeah. you break your hand. You know, mm-hmm. you, you throw a punch in basketball, you're out for the season. You know, mm-hmm. then you're labeled someone like that. And, you know, I know it's, it's one of those things that you have those cool moments in sport. And I remember it went viral, like millions yeah. and millions of people, Sports Center, ESPN, you know, everyone's hitting you up and whatever. And I, I did the post and I ended up tagging Mason Peatling afterwards and put it on social media. I went to the changer and I was just like, you know, stuff these guys, rah, rah. And I was like, I went up to Tommy Greer and Eric Collinsworth and I was like, hey, high performance in gym. And I was like, hey, I'm posting this, just letting you know. <laughs> and they're just like, go for it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll deal with the aftershocks. Threw, threw, it, threw yeah. it up and, you know, moments that you, you, you later look back and go, it was childish. It was a bit mm-hmm. stupid. But it's kind of like what people want. People want you to be a little childish, a little over the edge. And then when you do it, they're like, oh, yeah, do it. Say something. You know, really get into him. You know, he's a dickhead. Like, get into him, mate. And then you do it. And you do it and they're like, oh, you're a dickhead. What's it doing for? You're an idiot, mate. You're like, what are you you talking about? Like, You just just told me the bloody person. Every week since I've probably left Adelaide about year seven when I was captain there, every interview, it's always like, you know, oh, they try and lead you in. They try and just give you the fish hook and just Chuck try and see. If, they yeah. try and see if they can nip one out of here and then they can write something. And well, then can, when or, you actually do it. Or it's going to make it, the NBL's Instagram or yeah, social page oh, or something Oh, Craig like said this, you know, rah, rah. They, they do it so often and they try and I, hey, boys, I'm not falling into that trap. Come on now, like piss off. Yeah. But then <laughs> you do it and then it's just like you equally have positive and you equally have negative. And I'm like, this is sometimes why we don't do it. Mm-hmm. I would love to hit up Chris Goulding and just be like, hey, Chris, hey, brother, like, hope you're well, mate. Like, good shot the other week. We play in 12 days' time. Hey, I'm going to come out on social media and say this. Let's just get the fans amped up. Now, if we do that, people actually start to then look at us in negative lights. They might say, oh, Creek's out of line or Chris is out of line or – Creek's trying you to know, get attention Cooks through the media. Is, yeah, yeah, and like, you know, me and Zay Cooks could do it. Like, we play similar positions. We'd go head-to-head. And that's where you like you kind of want to do it sometimes, just for fun and to hit the other guy up and get you the know, fans involved. You see all these celebrity boxing matches and stuff like that. They definitely just talk to each other. Like it happens all the time. Like Andrew Tate and Jake Paul now have a face off a couple of days afterwards. Hanging like, in Cambosis. Yeah, like you know, you can see where some align because 
he beats a good boxer. But those two are just celebrities that are just, mm -hmm. you know, YouTube powerhouses that have gone to, you know, digital media f fame. And then they get together, they talk about it, and then they're going to profit hugely out of it. Now, unfortunately, we don't get to make bazoons of dollars. Otherwise, I'd be hitting up Bryce Cotton and I'd be hitting up everyone. <laughs> I'd be trying to find moments or whatever else. But, yeah, you, you know, you, you want to try and get that side of the game in there. And I think at some point it's going to turn because – there's so much negative stigma about people online and social media. And there's mm -hmm. so many ways to just get away with it mm -hmm. that I think social media is so dangerous for, for anyone young and old. So I think we have to be mindful of it, but we have to also understand that your phone is one thing. The real world's completely different and whatever you wouldn't say to someone's face, you shouldn't say online, but unfortunately that's not really how it goes anymore. Yeah. Now I know you're on a tight schedule, Krugie. I just want to ask you a few more questions. NBA, G League, what, what was the feeling and emotion like? What was going through your head when you get that opportunity to play at Brooklyn? Incredible, mate. Uh, first game, I'm sitting on the bench. Kenny Atkinson comes over pregame. Hey, mate, congratulations. Enjoy tonight. Look, we're going to suit you up. You're not going to play. Just take in the sights and sounds. You don't know the offense. You don't know the defense. You know, you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Just enjoy the night. Like, just be a kid, basically. Sit on the bench two hours later. Long, like, NBA's long. Like, mm -hmm. NBL games go for, you know, and 90 minutes yeah. in your home by two hour mark. Over there, games are like two, two and a half hours, like long timeouts, TV timeouts, all these things. And I remember I was sitting there and I was so stiff and tired and sore, like I was knackered. And then all of a sudden, like, they point at me and I was like. You said I wasn't going to play. What are you, what are you pointing at me for? Like, <laughs> point at someone else. You, am I getting in trouble? Like, did I do something? And he's like, you're in. And I was like, what the f like, what, what am I doing? Like, what do you mean? And he's just like, you're a freak though, shoot him. And I was just like, holy shit. And I, I saw Rondo Hollis-Jefferson drive in, get fouled, hurt his shoulder, go off, not knowing that the opposing team coach, when your team's player gets injured on a foul shot, selects who shoots the foul shots. Yeah. New York Knicks head coach comes out, bang, new fella, get in there. Pick, in there. pick me. Yeah. <laughs> pick Creek though. I was like, holy shit. I remember Ed Davis walked up the court and he like kind of slapped me one and, and gave me a cheeky little line and uh, basically told me not to miss him. Like, you know, because I knew this in my head. Yeah. I was like, this is the only opportunity I'm going to get tonight. These are my first NBA points. Don't clank two free throws. But I just sat there for two and a half hours, frozen cold, stiff as a board, couldn't bend. I was so nervous and everyone was, I knew everyone was watching. I knew everyone knew it was my first game. It was just awesome. And I missed my first one, and I was like, oh, shit. My go. knees, I couldn't bend them. They were shaking. My hands were stiff and cold. Like, I was so nervous. Literally, I cannot describe how nervous I was. Mm -hmm. um, like, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's such a funny feeling. You get stage fright. It's like standing next to a cubicle of, like, 10 men, and they're all just looking at you. Yeah. And you got to piss. Every guy knows what that feels like. Yeah. You can't piss. That's how I felt. I couldn't shoot. And somehow I made the free throw and I was so pumped, ran back to the bench. You know, I made the free throw and I started to run back on defense like, hey, boys, you know, go over here, go over there. And then they're and like, the sub, like sub, get off me. Right, yeah. <laughs> I went to the bench and all the boys are pumped for me. And, you know, I, I got to play the next night. We went to, to, to Boston, TD Garden, got to play against Bainsey, um, you know, scored, I think, half a dozen points there and got to play against, you know, um, Tatum, you know, Brown, you know, all these guys smart. Like it was, it was pretty awesome. But... Just to be there, man, it's, it's, it's a culmination of life's work, sacrifice, not just of yourself, but as we spoke about before, everyone else in your circle that you care about dearly, they give you that time, love, and effort and consistency. 
you know, to reward them with moments where you succeed, it makes mm-hmm. people proud, and that's what it's all about. What about Minnesota? What was the environment and culture there like? It was incredible. I went in, um, you know, got along with the guys very well, uh, spent uh, a couple of months there, and then did the preseason with them, uh, did summer league with them as well. Um, only got to play in, I think, uh, a game at the very end of the season. But mm-hmm. just the moments, same thing, man. Like, it's it, it's about creating memories and moments. Like, I didn't get to play a whole lot. I thought I was. I was communicated that I was going to be playing quite a bit because yep. um, they were out of finals. I had to win 10 games. And there was, I think, eight or nine left. Um, so they definitely couldn't make finals. So I thought I was going to play quite a bit, but it was just, okay, I don't get to play. What can I do? I'm in the gym. I'm doing recovery. I'm doing rehab. I'm doing everything. I'm, I'm on court. I'm getting extras in. I'm working with coaches, doing all these things. And, you know, you just go out there. I got to play in Dwayne Wade's last ever game, mm-hmm. Dirk Nowitzki's last ever game, like ever, like legends of the game. Man, I was so pumped. After the game, I dapped up Dwayne Wade. Yeah. <laughs> he like, he, yeah, hey, brother, hey, man, all the best, man. I love you, Aussies. And I was like, oh. Wait, wait, knows who I yeah, am. Like, yeah. this is sick. So there's just cool memories, man, that always kind of come to mind. And you just want to be a kid. That's it. Like, I, I always feel like if I'm not being a kid, I'm not enjoying life because kids freely enjoy life for no reason. Mm-hmm. Why don't adults? They think there's so many negative stigmas and punishments for people that want to enjoy it freely that, you know, this is what you want to do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Minnesota was a, was a hell of a time, man. What about when you start off at Southeast Melbourne as, you know, one of their first marquee players alongside head coach Simon Mitchell? Yeah, incredible. To get that, you know, opportunity to help build a club and a franchise, we understand that it takes a lot of time, effort. Um, There's going to be a lot of ups and downs, a lot of setbacks, but it's how you kind of bounce back from those consistently. Um, Simon was fantastic. Tommy Greer's been amazing. Romy, our owners, everyone, Jay Chill, all those guys. Um, you know, the list goes on and on now. Dante, John Wall, like there's there's heaps of other people behind the scenes. But just to be able to be a new franchise in Melbourne, a beautiful place, beautiful city, shame about the weather. God damn, come on. Let's get some more sunlight. Um, all these things kind of come and play a part. And it, it's very special to be in this environment. But, you know, for me, we got a lot of work to do. we got a, a lot of great people. But, you know, to be one of the main people that they build this club around is uh, is a very special feeling and something I never thought I'd be able to feel. But... Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly something that I'll, I'll cherish forever and hopefully we can do something special and win a championship here. Yeah, absolutely. Mitch, just one last quick question. What's your best advice you'd give to anyone who wants to make the NBL or the NBA and you know be successful like yourself? I think just simplifying the game. Um, you watch Steph Curry, you watch James Harden, you watch all these players. They have a lot of fancy moves, but what they are incredibly not talented or gifted at, incredibly well-trained in other fundamentals, mm-hmm. passing both hands, dribbling both hands, shooting different types of shots, but starting close, working your way out, repetition, excellence of execution. Just be curious about the game, watch the game, learn the game, understand why someone's good, speak to people who are older, better, smarter, wiser, make mistakes, be a fool, be a goose, but understand, you know, people like, you know, success and development, but it's not always going to happen that quickly. Opportunity comes from, the ability to perform a task consistently over and over again and having a positive outcome. So if you continue to work at learning from the negatives, building a positive out of it, you're always going to have positive outcomes and opportunities will arise. So work hard, you know, keep the ones that are close to you around nice and tight, nice and close. Tell them you love them. Enjoy the game, have fun. Um, and along the way, if you get time, you know, please, please just, you know, keep whatever it is, close to your heart because mm-hmm. the more you give to other people, the more they can take. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to your family. Keep it to your friends. And then all of a sudden, 
you turn around and one day you'll wake up and you'll be in America running out um, that night playing in the NBA and you never know how or why or when, but it'll happen. Mitch, thanks for joining us today. No worries. Thanks, Maxie. Appreciate you having me, mate. Thanks, Mitch. This episode is brought to you by Wilson Sports. Head to wilson.com for all your needs in basketball, NFL, and sports all over Australia and the world. We've got some huge giveaways coming up on Sporting Max Social. Stay tuned. We'll see you soon. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.